Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Rush Witt about his book, I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Now, before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Rush Witt is lead pastor of Paramount Church in Bexley, Ohio. He is a certified biblical counselor and also the author of Die Hard Sins, How to Fight Wisely Against Destructive Daily Habits. Rush and his wife, Catherine, have three daughters and two sons. Hey there, Rush. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. It's good to have you back. Thanks for having me on here. Looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, it's so fun to be able to talk with you again, because you were one of my first interviews in 2000, I think, 19, when the podcast launched, and we talked about your book, Die Hard Sins. And so really thankful for the chance to have you back on to talk about your brand new book called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. But before we go into our conversation today, I wonder if maybe you could spend a few minutes telling our audience a bit about the background of this book and what your motivation was for writing it. Well, the idea for the book had been something on my mind for a long time because I had had some experience through biblical counseling in the past within my family that related to escape and even, you know, serious despair that can lead to suicidal thoughts. The idea of wanting to escape difficult times was always something that was really on my heart. And so I thought for a long time about this topic. And just as I continued thinking about it, and it would come up from time to time, in ministry, or even just in my own life, in going through something hard and feeling that pull to want to get away from it, or to even just for, you know, even just for a moment to fantasize about what would be a way that I could get out of this, or what would make this better, make this problem go away, even in all of that kind of convoluted thinking of, you know, if I just get get out of this, then the problem will be gone, something like that. So I just was continually thinking about that. And then, you know, sometimes just eventually in God's grace, an idea kind of gets traction in your mind and you get determined to try to write on something. So I started making some plans for what a book, a short book on this topic could be like and how it would be helpful. And I, you know, I try to think like we all do about what would be really helpful to me, what would be helpful to other people that I know are going through this. And it actually turned out that I was writing this, trying to write this during the pandemic. And that was a weird kind of connection point to be writing about this topic in the middle of the pandemic. Because as I, I write actually the very beginning of the book, I talk about the fact that I'm writing this in the middle of this really difficult time in our world and in particular our country and in churches as a pastor because so many different challenges were all converging at the same time. We had the COVID-19 pandemic, 
We had really serious, important social issues that were bursting at the seams in society, in protest, with all of those issues swelling. We had lots of conflict between people because everybody had an opinion about masks and vaccines and protesting and the government, all of these things. And even in lots of churches, these things were boiling over. So it was just a really challenging but appropriate time, maybe helpful, I guess, to write about this while that was going on. So anyway, it was really just because this was a topic that continued to be on my mind and feeling like it would be helpful to have something short that in times we feel overwhelmed, we want to escape. Could we offer a plan? Could we try to have a plan of what should I do when these times happen? And so the pandemic just gave a really clear context to think about that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that I had the opportunity to preview the book and even offer an endorsement for it. I feel like this was just a really helpful resource for me personally to just better explore some of the things we'll be talking about today, the temptation to escape when we are feeling overwhelmed. And so that's really the angle we're going to take on our conversation today, even though we are talking essentially about escapism. And you'll kind of unpack what that looks like in our daily lives here as we talk, but really focusing in on exactly what you just said, you know, how can we respond in a faithful way when we do Mm -hmm. feel like life is just so incredibly overwhelming, so much to bear that we just want to curl up and hide or disappear or, you know, actually we're going to talk about four different ways in which uh, we Mm -hmm. might be tempted to escape when life is overwhelming. But I guess even before we take that step, I'd love for you to unpack what it means to even feel overwhelmed. Maybe give us some examples so we can consider whether or not that's something that's taking place in our own lives right now. Well, trying to address an issue like this requires us to think through that experience. I think that the experience of a problem really creates a kind of entry gate into ministry, either ministry to other people or even ministry to ourselves if we want to call it a kind of self-counseling approach to dealing with you know, challenging issues or feeling overwhelmed in this case. I think it's really important to be able to put some words to it. So I think absolutely we can and need to. But then there's also another side of putting words to it that is almost impossible because there is this sense in my experience and I know in the experience of many other people that we can't always put our finger on it. It is not something that just real cleanly logically happens. But when life becomes overwhelming for me, it just comes out of me. It just shows up. It's not as though I am really carefully thinking, okay, here's a problem. Let's see if I could get out of it this way or maybe that way, or maybe I could deny this problem. And it doesn't really work that way all the time. Instead, it's almost like it just comes out of your heart out of nowhere. And this inner dialogue or inner voice begins, or just this pull of, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I've got to, just like, you know, the first chapter is called, I've got to get out of here. Like that just feeling comes out. So it's an interesting question because I think there's, it's both. It's both end. If I try to put some words to the experience, I think lots of other people could put the same words to it, or maybe even as we talk about it some, people who are listening will key in on, yes, that's the way I feel. That, that does happen to me. 
you know, so when, when life just becomes overwhelming and the pressure, which I always think about it as a lot of heat, like the sun really beating down on you and pressing in on you, that kind of experience makes life feel unbearable. It makes life feel unlivable. In the worst sense, that can lead us to feelings of or thoughts of suicide. In other degrees of feeling overwhelmed, it can lead us to just want to get away from the problem and eliminate the problem somehow, or at least eliminate the heat. But I mean, I think it can feel like, you, you know, this is connected in with the experience and feeling of worry. Worry is this overwhelming concern that gets out of control. I'm no longer concerned about my life or the situation that I'm facing, but I've become worried about it. It's colored with anxiety and fear and just discomfort. I feel uncomfortable. I feel awkward. You know, not all of this is about escaping some kind of tragic situation. I mean, it really is a testimony to the difficulty of this problem because it happens like all of these different ways. Even just being in an awkward conversation, you have that feeling, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to deal with this person. Just like in every area of life, there's this sense of how can I get relief? How can I get some distance? And that's not always bad, right? But so often it's the alternative to moving close to a person that's difficult to be around, or it's the alternative to actually working through an ingrained habit that is troubling us and wanting to just get relief and not deal with it. A word that came up to my mind that is, you know, maybe sometimes be applicable when we feel overwhelmed is the word that Paul uses in Second Corinthians 1 for afflicted. And that word, you know, really is trying to convey the sense of an internal pressure, a feeling mm. like you are being trapped into a corner and mm. there's no mm -hmm. way of escape. And so mm. even in just our daily challenges, I think in even in my own heart, I see when there are sometimes situations that come and I feel like I get overwhelmed because there is that sense of I am trapped here and I want to escape and I can't. I like the way that you're talking about that because it reminds me of something that I hope comes through in the book is that this challenge with escape, this, the desire to escape, is not simply a kind of sin issue where trying to escape is the wrong thing to do. So get with the program and do the right thing. Distrusting God is the wrong thing to do. So stop being a sinner and start trusting God. There's always a sense in which that is true. But there's another dynamic at work which should draw from us real compassion if we understand what this experience is like and hopefully will help us think about if there are other people that we're trying to help. This is a book in a series called Ask the Christian Counselor. So it is a book that's intended to help other people and could be used that way. It would help us to think about their situation in a more compassionate way which would call for a consideration that they're suffering and to be in tune with what this experience is like. That's a terrible feeling to feel like my only recourse is to run away. That is not empowering. That is not encouraging. That's not very hopeful. That's a place where 
there isn't any hope. The only hope is that I can hit the eject button and just fly out of here. So that's a terrible experience. And think about how many times we feel that way. So I think that it's important just to key in on what you were talking about, about the internal pressure that reminds us that this problem is personal and painful. And to recognize that if someone is in a situation where they feel like they've got to get out of here, that's a painful place to be. Yeah. And it calls for care and gentleness and understanding and compassion to strengthen one another so that our hope is big and bright and in the right place. And we can see through that relentless temptation or that voice that keeps saying, don't you just want to get out of here? Wouldn't it just be better if, if you didn't have to deal with this? Wouldn't it just be better if you just moved or quit your job or quit this relationship? So I just wanted to key in on that because I think that's an important aspect. And, and I hope that comes through in a book like this to have a kind of warm tone so that when we read about it and think about this problem, we don't just think about it in black and white, sin righteousness, obedience, disobedience, trust, distrust, but to think about it also colored by the real just experience of this is what it means to be in a fallen world. This is what it means to be in a bad place. I love in the book that you go as far as offering the reader four common escape routes or ways that we seek to escape our troubles and unhelpful ways. So can you talk a bit about what those four common escape routes are? I think that there are lots of different ways that we can talk about escape. I think that just as our hearts are, as one person put it, idle factories, we, we have a propensity just to create objects of false worship or ruling desires that take precedence in our lives or try to, even for a brief season, functionally replace our hope in Jesus. That's always coming out of us. I think that this experience of escape is always coming out of us in different ways. So the list of categories could be endless. I tried to take my experience and the way that I see this playing out in the Christian life and boil it down to four key categories that would be easy for anybody reading the book to remember. I mean, this is a short book on purpose because if you're in a place where you're feeling this overwhelming sense of escape, you are probably in a weakened state. You need some concise help and some clear direction. So by using just four categories, it can help us to frame out a little better what's going on in my heart in this example of my escapism or my feeling overwhelmed. So those four, I think, are pretty clear. I think we could see them in our own lives. So denial, distraction, there's kind of a two-part third one, deflecting and destroying. And then the fourth, which is death, which is those feelings of ultimate escape and hoping that that might give us some kind of relief or take away the overwhelmed feelings. I explore those four categories in the book to help us get a better sense or landscape of how these different ways of escaping work out in our lives, whether it's denying that there is actually a problem. So I live in Ohio, and there is a really genius marketing campaign about the opioid epidemic in Ohio. And it's set in this fictional place called Denial, Ohio. And all of the people who live in Denial, Ohio, think that this problem will never affect them or that it's not a problem where we live, 
you know, it's trying to parody the way that people often feel about big problems. This, this could never happen here. And I think that is a, a great picture of what often is happening in my heart is that my disposition toward problems can be that it doesn't exist. It's not a real problem. It doesn't need to be dealt with so that I don't have to face that problem, which is a you know, key way that I could get away from it or run away from it. Uh, the second category is distraction. And that one's probably really clear to us because we all know in this modern age, we have a million distractions. Our day is a successive string of distractions, at least distractions being offered to us. Hopefully we're not living like that 24 hours a day, but from all of the media that we have, that we can take in social media, activities, hobbies, games, sports, there's all these different ways that we can put our attention on something else to get away. And that's what we often do. Similar to that commercial, you remember this, the soap commercial for Calgon? At the end of this really overwhelming, difficult day, the person in the commercial just wants the Calgon soap or bath to take them away from it all. That's just near and dear to our hearts. And we are really not helped very much by the fact that our culture is full of distraction and often used that way. Now, I also think that there's a way to distinguish between enjoying the good gifts that God has given, which I would include social media and that, uh, streaming services, sports, all of these different activities that we have available to us. These are good gifts that God has given. And I think the Bible's clear that we should pursue the enjoyment of God's good gifts as a way to glorify him. But there's a difference between enjoying God's good gifts and engaging with him in something that he's given to us to enjoy and misusing it so that we don't have to engage with him or with real life. We can slip away and co-opt his good gift into our own plan to gain personal relief in our own way or in our own time. And then the third category of deflecting and destroying gets that that our response to feeling overwhelmed is not always to deny something exists or to deny a problem or to distract ourselves. But sometimes we do take a more active approach to the problem, but it's the wrong kind of approach. It is trying to gain relief by either deflecting my responsibility and putting it off on someone else, or even by destroying something in my life. Sometimes we talk about, we use the language of being self-destructive or self-sabotage, where there's a problem and we go at trying to solve it in a way, but it's a destructive way. It is a way of destroying the difficult relationship rather than working through it or improving it. It is lashing out at someone, harming someone else. And then the fourth category is that ultimate kind of escape, the tragedy and pain of just wanting to die coming into an overwhelmed experience in which life has become so dark that it seems the only way out or the only thing that could make life better would be to not be alive. And thankfully, this is an experience that's talked about in scripture. There are examples in scripture where faithful people think in a moment, it would be better if I had not been born. The issue with suicidal thoughts or even attempting is an indicator of our heart's desire to escape just overall in the world. 
I read recently that the World Health Organization reports that three quarters of a million people die by suicide every year. So then put on top of that, the number of people who contemplate suicide all around the world, every day, in a sense, all the time, the world is full of people who are wanting to escape in the most intense way. Now that really brings this whole topic to a head in my mind and heart, because that really says something about how we feel about life and what life in this world is really like. We can put all the different bells and whistles on it. We can infuse the distractions. We can polish up life, but there's nothing that we will ever be able to do to ultimately hide away the reality that we are living in a hard, difficult, as the Puritans would say, miserable world. And that comes out in the lives of so many millions of people in the desire or attempt or even sadly success at suicide. And I think that this is a call for us to be more sober-minded, to be more in tune with what life really means. It's hard. There's a hard world that we're living in. So this really brings that home to me and you know, like I said before, we've been through counseling and challenges around this issue of suicide, and it really has given a serious kind of compassion, you know, gets at what kind of pain are we in and what kind of struggles are we facing when that seems even remotely like a good idea. Connected to the temptation to suicide is the temptation of self-harm as a way of gaining relief from the experience of being overwhelmed or the pressures of life. And I think that the temptation to self-harm gives us helpful insight into the heart of our struggle, which is common to all of us, even if we don't outwardly work it out the same way or we don't always act out in the same category of escape. Because self-harm really, again, as we were talking earlier, it reveals to us the painful reality in our hearts that would lead us to do something like that, that would lead us to harm ourselves, to, to be in pain and yet be thinking that the solution is another way of bringing about pain. But also, it gives us helpful insight into our natural tendency to take our relief into our own hands, that we want to provide some rescue to ourselves without looking to the Lord for his rescue. Yeah, I think that's really helpful too, because I even as you're talking, I'm thinking about how as we become more and more conditioned to escape in those destructive ways, like you just mentioned, you know, it can almost even be a slippery slope from one, mm. one way mm -hmm. of escape to another. And I know that I experienced that in my own life. While it may not seem like a big deal, like you talked about, maybe it's just a conversation I want to escape. That's not necessarily an earth-shattering moment. But as we begin to condition those responses, then when life does become unbearable because of layered trials or affliction or unexpected hardship, then our default is not necessarily to turn to God, perhaps, but to try to figure out how do I get out of this the quickest way possible? 
And so I appreciate you helping us think through that a little bit more. And we spent a good amount of time talking about really hard things. So I'd love to introduce now kind of a, a big theme that you have in the book, a term called courageous dependence. And I really love that. So when it comes to our spiritual lives, you write that quote, courage melts away when life becomes harder than we expected. And that quote, sometimes we question if the troubles are worth the pain. So even in the face of discouragement and frustration, you offer readers three reasons why they can choose courageous dependence on God instead of running towards the nearest exit. Can you share what those three reasons are and why they're relevant when we feel overwhelmed? There's always a temptation when looking for hope to try to find it in myself. If you were to ask me in times when I feel overwhelmed and I'm not thinking carefully like a Christian should, I might start to grasp in my panic for reasons to be hopeful that are really grounded in me or they're really grounded in my ability to control the situation or what kind of plan I could come up with or maybe even the four categories of escape that are talked about in the book. But really when we're thinking uniquely Christian, helpful ways, our hope is found in God himself. And so I want to give these three key reasons that we can have courageous dependence on God in the midst of feeling overwhelmed. Three reasons that we do have hope as Christians, and they're really grounded in God's nature and his love for us. And they are borrowed from Jerry Bridges, the reminder that God is sovereign, wise, and good. That he's sovereign, he's in complete control. Perhaps an even clearer term for that would be his loving providence. He's not just in control in a black and white way where he makes everything work, but he makes everything work for our good. He makes everything work out of his covenant love for us that he is sovereign in love and working in our lives. And because of that, we can have hope when life is overwhelming. To know that life is not out of control. It feels out of control for us, but God is not in heaven wringing his hands, wishing that he knew what could be done or wishing that things would be different and hoping that someone can come to the rescue so that he is sovereign, that he is wise, he knows what to do. His ultimate wisdom, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and that he is good. If we took any of those elements of the trio away, we would be in a terrible situation. Imagine if the God that we knew and served was sovereign and good, but he wasn't wise. He was in control and he had good intentions, but he didn't know what to do about anything. That would not be helpful to us or hopeful. If he was sovereign and wise, but evil, that would be, I think, even worse. But the reality is that he is sovereign, wise, and good. And because of what he is, and because of his covenant love for us, and the way that he has demonstrated his love time and time and time again, revealed to us in Scripture, but in particular revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus, who declared his unending love for us by living a perfect life in our place, dying in our place and rising again for us so that he could call us to himself. Those are the reasons that we have hope. And so we have to be ready in moments of overwhelmed feelings to direct our attention back to that reality, to resist the temptation to manufacture reasons to be hopeful 
that come from me and my ability to control or my wisdom or maybe even some perceived goodness that I could have and bring to the situation, but really focus our hearts in on who God is because he is sovereign, wise, and good. So in light of God's sovereignty, wisdom, and goodness, how can we practically and faithfully respond in moments of overwhelm? What does it look like to be courageously dependent on God when life feels like it's just too much for us? This is a question that I love because it gets at our need for practical help in dealing with times when we feel overwhelmed. I've always been helped most by books or counselors or pastors who could help me in simple terms get a sense of what direction I need to go in with God's help. I try to do something like that by providing a three-part plan for courageous dependence. In this book, Courageous Dependence is really the central call for change. Those two words get at the experience and the problem that we're facing when life is overwhelming. When life overwhelms, we lose courage. We're discouraged. We need encouragement. We need to be strengthened. We are feeling at our weakest. And in the midst of that, because our hearts are under the influence of remaining sin, we lose dependence, which is to become independent. We're prone to wander from God and find our own way. And the call is back to courageously depend upon him for the reasons that we've been talking about. But how do we get there? How does this change happen? The three-part plan in the book is intended to be simple and easy to remember. Because like I said, in these moments, we need something we can hold on to and move forward with. So really, the three-part plan could be summarized in three words, pray, believe, act. And that could be a kind of three-part plan that we're ready to practice in the moment. Having that in our minds ahead of time, that in this moment, I want to pray, believe, and act. And then in their fuller form, it gives us some more details of what that means. So the three-part plan is pray with humility, believe with gospel hope, and act with courageous dependence. Pray with humility, the first part of the plan, focuses on our need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God's care and love, to return to Him. Because in the feelings of escape, when we're going our own way or we're trying to solve our problems our own way, we're turning away from God. And that is a kind of pride. There's a kind of pride behind that. It says, I can get away. I can solve this problem. I can get my own relief. I can handle this myself. So we need to start by engaging with God. We, of course, do that by praying to him and doing so with a heart of humility, even asking him, God, help me to be humble in this moment because I'm wanting to control my own destiny. But you are the controller of my destiny. I belong to you in life and in death, in body and soul. I belong to you and I need your help. So that's praying with humility. From there, there's also this whole issue in our hearts of what we believe. I think that our beliefs and our desires play a fundamental role in how we live our lives and how we move through problems. So the second part of the plan focuses our attention on what we believe, getting to the heart of the truth that we can hold on to or the promises that we can cling to, knowing who God is in our lives because of the gospel. 
being reminded again that our ultimate belief is not in our own ability to change the situation or to provide ourselves with relief, but our ultimate belief is in an announcement of good news with no mixture of bad news whatsoever. And that's the announcement of what Jesus has done for sinners like us and his ongoing care and love and concern and control in our lives as the one who is sovereign, wise, and good. And as we reflect upon that truth, that announcement of good news in the gospel, and have the beliefs that are most in control of us refined and strengthened, we are reminded of the hope that we have. And ultimately, focusing our hearts on the gospel is what gives us hope as we hear over and over again the announcement of good news. As that washes over us in times of feeling overwhelmed, it can lead us into this third part of this plan, which is we do need to take action. And we can. We can with God's help. And because of the hope that we have in Him, that we can look to Him for wisdom. He understands where we are. He understands what we need. And He has provided abundant resources in Christ, which are revealed to us in the Bible and applied to us by the Holy Spirit, that we can act then in courageous dependence in the midst of feeling overwhelmed and actually work at solving the issue in front of us with God's help. Well, Rush, we've got time for one more question. But before I ask you, I want to let the audience know that you go way more deeply into these particular topics in the book. Again, it's short, so it's not overwhelming when you're feeling overwhelmed. However, I would encourage the readers to check out the book to explore this more in depth and reflect on it in their own lives. And so if you're interested in learning more about Rush's book, I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much, you can scroll into the show notes click the link there that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information. But before we let you go, I would love to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening today who feels overwhelmed by life and is fighting against some of the very temptations to escape that we've spoken about today. What would you say to encourage this listener with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? I would like to say to the person who feels overwhelmed in these ways that you are not alone. That these trials and temptations that we have in life, when life feels like it's too much, is common to every single person. We've talked about that already, that as we talk through this issue, it becomes clearer to all of us that this is something that we all deal with. There is a voice of escape that comes out of all of our hearts. And while that can be unnerving and it can feel discouraging to hear that this is a widespread problem, it can also be very hope-giving because we're not alone in this. And there are many other people who understand what this is like and can help you. And so I would encourage anyone who feels overwhelmed to any degree to take this desire for escape seriously and to connect with others. It could be connecting with a trusted pastor, or in this case, as we discussed in the book, a biblical counselor or a compassionate Christian friend to encourage one another and be reminded that there actually is help and hope in Jesus. And that help and hope is brought to us by that announcement of good news that is the gospel. 
which is an invitation, a gracious invitation to draw close to Christ as our ultimate hope. That is what the three-part plan is all about. It is about drawing close to Jesus who walks with us in the midst of overwhelming experiences, pain, hardship, loss, trouble, conflict, everything that we face and has real hair and has real resources to help us. And because of that, we can look up. We don't have to look away. We don't have to run away. We can look up to him. We can draw close to him and we can move forward with him even when life is too much. Awesome, Rush. Thank you so much for your words of encouragement. I really appreciate how hard you worked on this book to help us to think about something that I think as I read, I I didn't even realize I was tempted to escape as often as I am until you helped me to better understand this particular problem and how it manifests in our everyday lives. And so thank you for your work and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Christine. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.